0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics they talk, we listen. My guest today has worked in the heart of US government, in the Obama administration. We're in for a treat here today at Heads Talk. I, for one, am really excited about this discussion. She's currently the Commissioner for Washington, And her previous role has been at the center of two leading countries, where she advanced economic security, human rights collaboration during her tenure. She has had a diverse career focusing on areas such as technology, innovation, community leadership, education, social responsibility initiatives, NGOs and youth outreach. In addition to this, she has an arts degree in English and a science degree in mechanical engineering and aerospace applications. She has definitely applied all the skills developed in these diverse and enterprising areas, into the dynamic role which we will talk about today. So yes, all is politics on this episode of Heads Talk, but before we get into that, here's a message from our sponsors. Women Way, the business network and mentoring platform for professional women, is one of Switzerland's largest women's business networks. It commits 15,000 female entrepreneurs and women in professional leadership positions. Board members and executives make up 43% of Women Way's community. Since 2009, Women Way has been a community of women leading the way. Visit us at www.womenway.org or follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook.
1: Heads Talk Podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle Schwitter.
0: Delance Switch Watches, an ode to femininity. Created in 1996 by Giselle Rufa, Delance makes and sells prestige switch watches, created exclusively for women. A symbol of femininity, the Delance watch is immediately recognizable by its diamond-shaped case. Starting with the basic design, it is delicately tailored to reflect the unique personality of the woman who wears it. A Delance timepiece is a talisman for women everywhere who takes their own destiny in hand. Visit us. At www.delance.com.
1: Heads Talk Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle Schwitter.
0: Ambassador Susie Levan, former US ambassador to Switzerland and Liechtenstein, led a 100 person embassy to advance the United States' interests. She generated over $3 billion in foreign direct investments in the US. She's also obtained commitments from 30 corporate partners, including Nestle, Kuliski, Zurich Insurance, ABB, Novartis, Mercuria, and others to bring Swiss apprenticeship to US facilities. There's a lot more, and we will discuss this in this episode. Prior to this, Susie has had directorial and vice presidential positions in some of the world's most recognized brands and organizations, to include Microsoft and Expedia. She has even had a brief experience in NASA, and we may touch upon this in the course of this discussion. She's been described as an amazing organizer and activist. A leader who constantly works to improve the communities she lives and works in. Additionally, it has been said that she has an inspirational presence in any group, and it is always an exciting and rewarding experience to collaborate with her. So, without further ado, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Ambassador Susie Levine to Heads Talk. So, many thanks for being with us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I hope I can live up to all that you
0: just said. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. It's all true. It's all true. And thank you so much for being up, because I think the listeners can't tell from this, but you're up at the crack of dawn, very early in the morning to have this conversation. Here in Switzerland, it's the afternoon, but it's very early where you are in the US at the moment. So thank you for giving us your time um, this morning. Okay. um, There's really only one thing. can kick off our discussion, the recent US elections. um, We are on the other side of the election, it's safe to say that this was a controversial and historical event uh, and it will be taught in classes for years to come. Um, Before we go into greater detail about understanding people in the political process, I want to go back before then, before the 2020 elections to the 2016 US elections. Incidentally, I sat up all, de- all night in the early morning to watch that. What were your thoughts as proceedings unfolded? What was going on through your mind as the results started to come in? Take us back to where you were, what you were doing and your reactions, and as things started to unravel
1: for the Clinton campaign. So in my capacity in 2016, I was, uh, serving as the U.S. ambassador to Switzerland and Liechtenstein at the time, as you know, and was in a nonpartisan role by law. And so I had not been involved at all in the campaign other than to vote and to support the candidate. But otherwise, um, was doing a lot to help educate the Swiss and Liechtensteiners on the process, because we have a very different election process than happens there, and to really emphasize that polls don't vote, people do. Mm -hmm. and encouraging a lot of people from abroad to make sure that they got in their votes. And that evening we had really one of our very best diplomatic events. It was an open event. People were lined up around the block. It was very exciting at the Cornhouse Cafe in Bern. And we had various moments in time over the course of the evening where I was addressing the group giving them updates and status. We had a lot of televisions reporting the results. And a lot of people had made assumptions. I would have a lot of people come up to me and saying, in advance of that, of course, Hillary Clinton's going to win. Of course, she's Mm -hmm. going to win, right? And I was like, you know, polls don't vote. People do. Mm -hmm. And our elections are always historically very, very close. Mm -hmm. And it was really when Virginia came in around 2 AM, when, uh, Swiss time, when, we had our first inkling of this isn't going as it should be going. Hmm. Florida is one thing, but Virginia is another. Virginia should have been more definitive, but it was, it was very close. It was not, it was too close to call, in fact. which mm-hmm. was a harbinger of the evening. And over the course of the evening, again, I needed to make sure that I maintained my neutrality, but it was around um, 6 a.m. when I stepped out to talk to our kids who were at home at the time and uh, shared with my son how things were progressing. And it was very, um, it took my breath away in that conversation. But then I put back on the game face and went back in the room and continued to engage with folks, serving Mm -hmm. cakes and talking with folks and doing interviews. And then my husband got a call um, from our son who was in, the carpool with our daughter. And our son said, um, our our daughter's crying about the results. Mm -hmm. And it was very emotional. And again, we had film crews and audio mics that were monitoring us. and, uh, And my husband basically was not able to engage at that point. I had to do one more interview and then he shared with me what had transpired and then um, I had to excuse myself. Mm -hmm. And it was very upsetting. Um, It was stunning that our electorate could elect somebody who had so demeaned women, Mm -hmm. who had so little preparation, whose policies were so anathema to us and to the well-being of our nation. And so we went into some deep soul-searching about how had how had this happened? And what could we do to fix it? We are, we are both fixers. We are both people who look at a situation and rather than wallow in it, take a step back and say, what can we do to, to fix this? Mm-hmm. And we um, obviously couldn't officially get to work right away because I was still in my nonpartisan role until January 20th. Mm -hmm. But we did, uh, when we went back to the United States for a visit, um, we started just asking questions, and it became very clear that Trump wasn't the cause. Trump was the result, and the result of um, two things. For one, a very inequitable recovery from the recession. That wasn't anybody's fault, but it was that people weren't thinking about how to recover in a way that everybody gets to recover. And there were a lot of people feeling like they had been left behind and were looking for change. And that was one issue. And the other was that of the Democratic Party had invested at the top and not in the infrastructure of the party itself and not in down-ballot races. and. The 2016 election was less the election to look at, historically, than the 2010 election. And what happened in 2010, when Barack Obama had been in office for two years, was it was a referendum on the Affordable Care Act and on the president. We were still in the midst of the recession. The Affordable Care Act benefits had not yet been felt. And the Republican Party very wisely had invested in state-level races or cantonal races. Mm -hmm. And the way our democracy works, the states are the ones who determine the boundaries for what are called legislative districts. Mm -hmm. And they did something profound uh, and evil. They gerrymandered, which meant that we no longer had a representative government. Fewer people now represent the larger population. And they structured these seats in a way that they would maintain majorities in these cantonal or state-level legislatures to then change the composition of our Congress and have the House of Representatives no longer be representative of our nation. And that then led to significant obstructionism and significant discord that then was laid at the foot of President Obama and the Democrats. Mm-hmm. And as a result, that discord and that inability to deliver for the people translated into um, translated into a loss for the governing party and led to Trump. And Trump also tapped into these fears and worries that people had with regards to their inability to get ahead during this time frame and uh and so that's that's how we were feeling then and but it's interesting then, that, yeah.
0: sorry susie it's interesting that you say that and i'm not quite sure if that's an element of hindsight because a lot of the political pundits the politicians the experts even the talk show hosts nobody was getting the mood of the people at the time they were getting it all so wrong there was a disconnect and I'm asking, is there still a disconnect, even though what you're saying to me right now is an analysis
1: of what went wrong? So I separate out the analysts from the pollsters. And I'm not going to talk about the math and the polls and and that. But in terms of at the time in 2016, there were some who were tapping into it. And I think that there are uh, a lot of folks in the Midwest, a lot of People who were raising their hand and saying, hey, you need to listen to these folks Mm -hmm. and understand what they're going through and what their life experience and lived experiences are. And um, I feel incredibly blessed to have had the opportunity in Switzerland to see the apprenticeship model there because it allowed me and my husband, who very much was my partner in this, to, you know, to recognize that the 2013 versions of ourselves think that the now 2020 or the time 2016, Mm -hmm. 17, and 18 versions of ourselves are are bananas, are just crazy because we recognize that the path to success has many beginnings and they do not all start with a university degree. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the composition of our nation, really a majority of people don't get these university degrees. Mm. And what we had done was placed so much emphasis on that, but it was Inappropriate for many, for many people that's not really accessible as well. Exactly. And it's incredibly expensive. And then for those who do pursue it, it leads to unbelievable levels of debt from which many people never emerge or they don't emerge until their fifties or sixties. And so we unknowingly had gained incredible insight into what was happening across the United States. And that was through this element of the dignity of work and how to provide more of that. So I would argue that there were many who did see that and were listening and were hearing from people, but not enough. Yes. And and the other thing too was we hadn't evolved in our language, which was what gives me a lot of hope now with regards to both how yes, how the Democratic Party has restructured and retrenched and really done dramatic improvements, but also how this Biden campaign and now the president-elect efforts are focusing on build back better and and, an equitable recovery and a recovery that really emphasizes the middle class and how people... Whether they are in poverty and we want to lift them out of poverty, whether they are middle class and we want to strengthen the value proposition of that, and that is a core value and guiding principle for the work that is happening now.
0: We're going to talk about um, the future and going forward, so um, hold some of that thought, but... um, I, I want to stay a little bit in 2016 and to a degree in 2020, because you touched about it. You mentioned it a few times in, in, in what you've said uh, about the polls and that um, in, in the end, they were the ones that were making the headlines, the polls themselves. Should there be a change in the polling process? Because it's not effective and people are not relying on it.
1: What amendments do you think are needed? I think nobody relies on the polls in terms of voters. Voters do what voters are going to do Mm -hmm. and how polls are used. There's a big difference between internal polls and external polls and external polls are for the media, right? They're there for people to read and get a sense. And to some extent, there's a great book called Nudge that talks about the influence that, well, it's getting on the bandwagon, right? If you see everybody going in this direction, that gives you some permission structure to go in that direction. Mm -hmm. So polls have a psychological impact that way. Internally, what polls do is they help you figure out your chess moves. Where should we invest more money? Where should we put more people? Gosh, it seems like this is trending in this direction. Let's let's layer on there. Or, wow, this is really behind and we should be pulling our resources back in order to flow them to this other place. So if you think about the job that polls have, it's, it's very different in the different spaces. So in terms of how to improve those there are a lot of people who are trying to figure out how and where did they go wrong and how can they retrench and adapt their math and their their outreach Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: the challenges that they face. Mm
0: -hmm. So whether
1: that is migrating from having landline phones, which nobody uses anymore, to getting cell phone databases, whether that is trying to make sure that you are sampling appropriately. And I think that that's part of what people were concerned about and are diagnosing now is that the sampling has not been accurate enough of those who ultimately turned out to vote for for Trump. And then the other thing is, how do you reflect ticket splitters? Meaning, in these states where, for example, Biden won, but where the down-ballot races went Republican, those are individuals who perhaps liked Biden but really did not want Trump, but still adhere to some of the policy propositions for the Republicans or want to put a check in place to make sure that the Democrats don't have full reign. And how can one model that in your polls is, is I think, going to be the question for a lot of services who, who offer this polling. Mm-hmm. The other is looking at national versus state polls and how, from a math standpoint, how minute do you get? Do you go down to the county level, the city level, the municipal level? At what point do you get to a statistically significant level? And we don't have a national election. We have a state by state election.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So while national polls were actually a little bit more accurate, we don't vote on a national level. So the state polls are where things need to be more accurate, but where they were clearly off in terms of what they showed. Mm-hmm. But when you look at, at least on the Biden level, like at the presidential level, you know they showed it was close to leaning on Arizona. He won Arizona. It was close to leaning on Pennsylvania. He won Pennsylvania, right? Michigan, Wisconsin. So in some ways they were accurate, but it was down ballot where they were a little bit tougher. But that that is where the gerrymandering that I was talking about comes into play. Mm -hmm. In 2018, there was a blue wave where we won a lot of these congressional seats and took a large majority in the House of Representatives. But it was a rented chamber. Meaning there was already a headwind because of how the district lines had been drawn. And the blue wave and the effort that went forward to win those seats was so high that it overwhelmed the red wall. But unfortunately, in 2020, there were enough voters who turned out for Republicans and perhaps those who again split the ticket between Biden and Republicans unfortunately the blue wave hit the red tide mm-hmm. and we lost a number of those seats that had been gerrymandered and that were by and large Republican seats that, that Democrats had won in 2018. We held on to some but many of them got um, got pulled back
0: mm-hmm. and
1: so it was it was always going to be very 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 difficult and the polls did not calculate that if the polls are looking at popular vote unfortunately the way district lines are drawn they are not reflective of popular sentiment they are reflective of gerrymandering
0: Mm. you know i I think we're going to have we're going to continue to have this debate about the polling process um, until perhaps we can introduce ai into it in some form to sort of enable more accuracy in in terms of the, the results And move on. Um, We have, you mentioned, President-elect Joe Biden. Um, This must have been a very different experience for you. So what does this mean to you? What does this mean to you, having Joe Biden now as the President-elect?
1: It means we have somebody where we don't have to wake up every morning cringing about (laughs) what might have been said the night before, for one. Um, We can stand straight and hold our heads up high with regards to international relationships. It means we have somebody who understands what it means to stand by your word and to respect others. Mm -hmm. We have dignity back. Mm -hmm. We Also have policies that help our humanity in many ways. An environmental humanity, Mm -hmm. a human rights humanity, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: a dignity of work humanity, a diversity humanity. There are so many ways in which the policies and practices of the Biden-Harris presidency and vice presidency will help our nation reemerge. So I am not just hopeful, because hope is not a strategy. These guys are getting to work. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big fan that I have seen and experienced that good leaders have great teams. And from the very first decision of bringing Kamala Harris on as his vice presidential running mate to the various people that he is putting into his cabinet and into the advisory capacities and advisory roles, the diversity that we're seeing, diversity of thought, diversity of background, diversity of gender, diversity of race. It's so exciting. And it is reflective of an amazing leader surrounding himself with extraordinary individuals, so I think that this is fantastic for our nation, but fantastic for our whole world.
0: Mm-hmm. Sometimes he's bringing in people that reflect the, the the country and the people that he serves, which is a very interesting times. And you talk about um, great leaders having great people around them. Let's talk about you know your role as the U.S. ambassador to Switzerland. Um, one of your roles was to create a greater collaboration with the two countries, and I suspect that will continue. Um, I've highlighted a fraction in the introduction. So, for my listeners, what have you achieved in this role? How has this relationship changed since leaving your role? And what are you expecting in the future with the relationships of the two countries?
1: And to be clear, Switzerland and Liechtenstein.
0: Yes, Switzerland. love the Liechtensteiners as
1: well. Thank you for that. So. It's all right. It's all right. So I was very fortunate to be one of the few ambassadors who had the opportunity to represent our nation to multiple countries. So um, I it was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes. And I was so humbled to have that opportunity to represent the United States and President Obama to to both nations. Mm -hmm. And there were many things that I achieved in that role. One was a very unique opportunity, which around apprenticeship, oftentimes the work that an ambassador does is located in the country to which they're posted or the countries to which they're posted. Mm -hmm. But the work that I did both strengthened our relationship and added value to the investments that Swiss and Liechtenstein companies were placing in their US footprints, but it also hugely benefited the United States. Mm -hmm. And in fact, when we came home, my husband and I, did extensive outreach with regards to apprenticeship. And we have in the United States now an apprenticeship renaissance, especially around youth apprenticeship that has not ever happened before. And I'm proud to say we were catalytic in that. And it's all over the United States that that's happening, which is very, very exciting. That's probably, I am most proud Mm -hmm. of that work. And what I appreciate is that it that work was so strong and was built on the shoulders and work that had been done previously by uh, my counterparts from Switzerland, whether that was Ambassador Dahinden or prior ambassadors. It was just exceptional work that was done. Uh, Ambassador Zager had done a lot on this front prior to that as in his representation from Switzerland to the United States. And so um, what I feel like I did was really expand and shine a much brighter spotlight on that than had before and to encourage Swiss companies to really expand their efforts and or to build those efforts in the United States that are really taking off. Other areas that I'm especially proud of um, relate to things like countering violent extremism. Together we were able to invest significantly in how to go upstream so that not just how are you addressing people who are already in a situation where they were violent extremists, but how do you go upstream to build up programs in arts and sports Mm -hmm. in countries where there might be a propensity towards this to um, help individuals not even go down that pathway to begin with? Mm -hmm. And how might we look at those kinds of opportunities? Also, for those people who are American expats in Switzerland, we were able to get agreement from many Swiss banks to take those individuals back as customers Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: to really move beyond what I'd come into, which was a deep concern with regards to banking and the relationship with the United States. So those are just a couple of Mm -hmm. the achievements in that role that I had had. Uh, And the other thing that I especially loved was the outreach and dialogue with many gymnasium and college uh, students when I was there, uh-huh. and having the opportunity for them to learn more about the United States, to discuss areas related to diversity and inclusion, and to really um, talk about the areas where we can learn from each other and grow with each other. Uh-huh. In terms of how the relationship has changed, I think that the economic elements of the relationship have continued to grow and expand in this time frame, But the core nature of our relationship is not just based on money. It is also based on shared values. And that is where I've been very, very sad to see the diversion over this past administration, mm. for example, withdrawing from the Paris Climate Treaty. And I am looking forward to how we re-engage with that, where uh, former Secretary Kerry is going to now be the climate envoy for us, bringing us back into Paris.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And heck knows, he spent a lot of time in Switzerland. And um, and in fact, uh, I believe that he probably, I, I don't even know if he spent more time in Lausanne than anywhere else <laughs> during his time, but he certainly spent a lot of time in Switzerland um, negotiating treaties and, and, and working with many yeah. multinationals. And knowing that Switzerland was one of, if not the first, to submit their climate plan to the Paris Climate Treaty. Uh, I know how important that is. Um, I also know how important democracy and the value of democracy and voting and giving everybody a voice is in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And especially with what we're seeing right now, the debasement of democracy that this outgoing administration Mm -hmm. is doing is appalling. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have a lot of cleanup work to do to shore up just our core notions of democracy. And so I am looking forward to how that gets built up as well. And we did a lot of collaborating on human rights, whether it was with Ukraine or with other nations, to try to press forward these notions, not notions, these core values of democracy. And I would argue that during this previous administration, uh, there was a lot of hypocrisy from the administration. And now we get to move forward and again, hold our heads up high mm-hmm. and be able to talk about it in a way and stand behind the notions of democracy in a way that unfortunately the outgoing administration cannot. Mm-hmm. And so that is a deep collaboration with how we can improve our relationship with the two countries moving forward.
0: Okay. Um, be- before I move on to the, the next question, um, the, the apprenticeship program work here, that's been rolled out across the U.S. Is there a link that at the end of this episode you can provide me so I can stick it in the episode description, especially if some of the listeners hear about this and they want to find out about it and if they can click on a link immediately,
1: it's something that be um, of use to them. Is, is that possible, Susie? A good example would be um, uh, an organization called New America mm-hmm. created the Program for Advancing Youth Apprenticeship, mm-hmm. PIA. Okay. And so you can go to... Um, Partnership to Advance Youth Apprenticeship Mm -hmm. and that will give you an example of what's happening all across the United States and know that this work um, stemmed very directly from what we did.
0: Okay okay I think I think that'd be very useful thank you for that um you touched upon democracy and uh, the erosion of it um you felt during the um incumbent. Um, Switzerland is a very different democratic beast to that of the US, and I say that affectionately. Um, What do you think, or what do you take from your experience in Switzerland that, you know, could the world learn from in the way Switzerland do business and how things are run and managed politically, and vice versa? What could Switzerland take and use? That's been done in the US as well.
1: My husband and I did, as we were leaving a TEDx um, in St. Gallen, Mm -hmm. where we actually talked about what do we learn from each other? And it's interesting sort of thinking back to that, uh, that very short presentation that we could have done much longer, but TEDxes are typically very short. And I'd say that when I look at the value and the way that Swiss democracy works, there is a deep amount of respect that regardless of disagreements, there is a foundation of respect. And I remember seeing the elections for the federal council and at the end, flowers were given to the new federal counselor who was named and everybody cheered instead of everybody jeered. Mm. And that's a very important distinction. And I appreciated that so deeply that there, again, is there, there's respect at the core and understanding that the shared value, the shared objective is do better for the nation. And in the United States, we've been there, but I think that we have had an erosion of that over the past couple of decades. And I think it started back during the Clinton administration when Newt Gingrich, basically said that uh, Republican representatives could no longer socialize with Democrats. Now, that hasn't happened across the board, fortunately, and there is still camaraderie, Mm
0: -hmm. but not
1: enough. And I think that that's really one of the core elements. The other within Switzerland is, is a focus on citizenship and civics. Every young person in Switzerland studies and learns civics and citizenship. Whether you are in gymnasium, whether you're an apprenticeship, everybody learns some form of citizenship. And that includes, how do you vote? And there's an expectation of voting. And and even in Chafausen, if you don't, you get fined, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that that is very, very essential to the health of a democracy. You can allow voting, and still not have democratic values. In the United States, we desperately need more civics engagement and more citizenship focus. Uh, The other thing, too, is we need an understanding and a respect and a civility that we're missing right now. And I think we have an opportunity to do better. And with the president-elect focusing on unity and that he is going to be a president for all Americans, and not just those who voted for him, he believes that that's in his heart, and that is a governing principle for him and his administration. And so, I think that we will see things improve. But the challenge is, is that with so many different media outlets from which people can choose what mm-hmm. source of information they have, and where people are defining their own truths and listening to their own. Echo chambers. Uh, it makes it very difficult to break through and help people understand. Facts are facts, and things that are not facts are fiction. And so we have a lot of challenges worldwide, and I think that they are particularly um, rife in the United States right now. Mm. Let's
0: um let's branch out to Europe and other areas of the world in general. Um, a sort of a big question here um with the rise of populist parties on the right or the right fringes of the political spectrum for example um Bolsonaro in Brazil um Lega North in Italy um Germany AFD who else um Viktor Orbán the the prime minister of Hungary who's said to sort of govern in a very autocratic way um, do you feel there there is a trend that will erode hard-fought human rights across the globe and perhaps you'll see more and more compromises in Europe when it comes to such rights?
1: I think that the United States having the leader that we've had over the past four years has left a vacuum in the world Mm. to push back on that type of treatment. And we have an opportunity to step back up and step back in to bring together democracies to fight back against that kind of authoritarian set of regimes. And we have, especially when you look at the people that President-elect Biden has put in place, we have people who understand that this is done through partnership, that this is done at the base level first. And how are you building up the civil and civic layers within the democracy? And how are you challenging those individuals with regards to the practices that they're putting in place? And so I think that it has been a, it's kind of like a garden where if you don't tend to the garden, then the weeds grow and we now have a master gardener.
0: Okay. I like that analogy. The the U.S. has elected its first ever female African-Asian-American vice president. Um, You've met her. You know her. What kind of leader is Kamala Harris? And what will she bring to the role that differs
1: to the the vice presidents of the past? Vice president-elect Kamala Harris is amazing. She does represent a lot of firsts for our nation. Uh Most importantly, she is just simply amazing. She is brilliant. She is warm. She is funny she is thoughtful, she is persistent, she is tenacious, and she's incredibly wise and knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. I've had a number of different interactions with her and been impressed deeply every time. She's inspiring. And she will be the perfect complement to President Biden and will be able to be both an advisor as well as carry her own portfolio Mm -hmm. and will be able to help accelerate the work that needs to be done given her own extensive competencies. So we are so blessed to have her. I am not going to compare her to other vice presidents who have been amazing as well, including Vice President Biden. Mm But I will say that, you know, I don't don't like when people say, oh, they're going to be able to step in that other person's shoes. Who wants to step in someone else's shoes? No, thank you. You bring your own shoes. Mm -hmm. And she certainly is bringing her own shoes to to this job and is going to be extraordinary. So we look forward to that. Ambassador
0: Susie Levine, I know you have to go. Many thanks for your time and insights today.
1: Absolutely. Such a pleasure. Have a great rest of your day. You take care.
0: Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, decision makers, and heads of multinationals.
1: Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle Schwitter.